So on today's show, we'll be discussing really what the Culinary Institute um, is like and how do you get smart on all things being a chef. Uh, hopefully hear some kitchen nightmare stories from Joe. Really excited to hear about some of that. Um, advice at at-home cooks, really, how do we, how do we get better at home? You know, easy cooking methods and tools uh, and advice to maybe some young chefs out there. Um, so really looking forward to talking to Joe. But before we get into it, Dom, um, are, you, are you rocking a cocktail like we typically do on Mondays? Right, what do you got going on? This is a Negroni, pretty established drink. I think it comes from Italy. It is gin, dry vermouth, and Campari. Mm. And you know what? I was making these previously with Aperol, and I think I like it better with Aperol. I, I agree. Aperol, well, uh, Campari is the cherry, right? And Aperol is more the orange. Is that like the flavor difference? I have no idea. I, yeah. I was going to do a shot of them just side by side just to see which one is different, but uh, maybe Party. next week it'll just do the shots. I'm doing the Aperol. We got the Aperol kind of faux spritz going on. I just, we had an open bottle of champagne that we got to get rid of, so. Made uh made Lindsay's favorite cocktail Aperol spritz. How long was it open for? Uh, it's in the fridge. It's still you know when I it's a twist off. It's just twist off. So when I opened it, there there was carbonation. So uh, okay, that, that was good. Yeah, we'll take it. It's not flat. So yeah, you ever uh, pop open a champagne bottle with a knife? Uh, I have not had the balls to do that. I am pretty good at popping it open, like where it doesn't spray everywhere. I don't know. How oh, people that's are part still. of the fun, though. Honestly, I like like shaking it up, you know. And then, I remember at your grad party, I think in Portland, right? They were you guys yeah. were popping champagne everywhere. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean it was Andre, but you know, it still got the job done. Yeah, listen, take it, take it. It's for the show, it's for the gram, anyway. Cool, cool. Yeah, so let's introduce Joe. Joe, why don't you say hi to everybody? How's it going, people? Oh, well, you know, we want to welcome you to the podcast. You're our uh, second guest, so hopefully, we're gonna have a great show. Yeah, I'm honored. Um, Joe, is that a Chris? Joe, is that a Christmas tree you got hanging up behind there? That is, yeah. Um, there's been some debate about what's the appropriate time to put up a Christmas tree, but <clears throat> just to to riff off of the the cocktail of the week, I don't have a cocktail. I actually have work uh, at my side gig, which we'll get into later. But in the same theme as my Christmas tree behind me, I have a little delirium. Oh, that's well. cool. Um it's pretty good. They're uh, a Belgian beer company and they're they're pretty strong. Um I think Justin, you're familiar with that that brand, yeah. right? You have them? Yeah, I don't know why. They're so exclusive, I feel like. And it's it so for for all the uh viewers here gonna be uh uh who can't see the screen, right? It's that white bottle, it's got that famous elephant on the top. So yeah. I think I sell them in four packs usually or something like that. So yeah, that's just real quick one thing. I bought a four pack, a little like handheld four pack thing of that the other day. Twenty eight dollars. Twenty eight dollars. Like how, they're ten percent the alcohol, beers? but yeah. I mean come on. How big are the beers? They're less than a pint size. Like they're not like you know, because if you get those four packs of IPAs where like each can is a pint I could understand like the twenty five dollar price, but like that Still, was dude, that's like what you would get at a brewery. Yeah, you know, like seven bucks a beer. Right, Joe. Listen to this. We um we went to the city on Friday night. We went to Ralph's, which is a German um beer hall in the city that is always decorated like Christmas lights. So your that's tree awesome. would fit right in. So 
you know, shit ton of lights like everywhere. It's super hot because all the lights are bearing down on you. So we just ordered two drinks at the bar, you know, not expecting much. I get the bill, $62 for two cocktails. Needless to say, we closed out our tab and went somewhere else. Like highway robbery. We were literally paying the electric bill. Ridiculous. That's probably, oh, that looks really cool. That's probably the worst I've ever heard. Thirty. That's like $30 that's a cocktail. That's right? Yeah. Dude, I mean, it's a cool vibe, you know. You got the one IG photo and then we're out, right? Like it was definitely a tourist trap. I was kind of making fun of them where I'm like, oh, you picked like kind of Christmassy time to go to this year round. Yeah, I know. It's a year round Christmas bar. We went in November. We, uh, Joe, we went to Italy Friday night, which was awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who used to to work there. It was actually the sous chef there. Nice. So good. So good. All right. Well, um, Let's get into it right now, right? So, Joe, you are the only friend of mine that is a professional chef, which I think is pretty fucking cool, man. Um, myself and Justin both love to cook. You know, we watch plenty of cooking videos. Um, we don't really have any skills, and no one really taught us how to cook. Uh, kind of just picked it up, you know, from watching stuff. But, you know, you've been doing this now. How long have you been a chef for? Well, so I went to I went to culinary school in 2018, uh, like early early 2018. So it's been longer than I actually thought. That's you know, a good four or five years. Yeah, and what was going through school like? Like how many years was it? Um, so it was only a full year. Um, a large part of it was like actual in classroom. Obviously, the nature of this business it was mostly hands on sort of stuff in terms of like your tests. Uh, and things like that. Um, there were written exams and, and obviously information that they wanted you to know, but a lot of it was being able to perform and being able to perform, which is one of the most important things in the kiss, in the kitchen is to perform consistently. Because it's one thing to be able to just, you know, look up a recipe at home and make the perfect dish or whatever. But the difference, the main difference that I think for people who are not aware or whatever is Doing it professionally means that you have to be able to do that dish perfectly multiple times in, a, you know, well, more than multiple times. Like we're talking dozens and dozens of time in a single night and put everything out in the same <clears throat> high quality uh, that people are expecting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always amazed on how people can just get it right. You know, like you go to a restaurant. And you get like the hanger steak and it's the same every time. And it's just yeah. equally as delicious every time. And yeah. I'm always amazed. <clears throat> so um, did you always want to do this or, you know, where did this spark come from? Because, you know, going through high school, like I don't remember you particularly, you know, like experimenting too much in the kitchen. And then, you know, when you were at school for a little bit, you didn't go through culinary stuff. So how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> all of my all of my jobs throughout my entire life. I mean, I started working in a deli, I think when I was 13 years old. Um, so really for the most part, I never had a job that wasn't involved in the food industry or the food service industry in some way. Um, and it was something I did all the way through college uh, and even afterwards. And really where it, I guess it kind of hit me was uh, when I was working at Talenti's, that was like kind of my first experience because I had followed a friend of mine and who was also the the head chef at the place you mentioned earlier grace's marketplace which had like a little um they started doing a lunch and like a dinner uh sort of 
boutique. It wasn't like a full restaurant, but they had a, a dinner service there. And this guy was the head chef for them. And he he ended up leaving. And a few months down the line, he hit me up and was like, I'm opening up my, my own place in Bayville. I'd really like you to come work for me. So I kind of hightailed it out of there and followed him to Bayville. Um, I was there for a good two years, I want to say. And that was like the, the first person who gave me the opportunity to, instead of just slicing deli meats and making sandwiches or whatever, he really gave me the opportunity to to cook with him in the back of the house and make everything from, you know, simple stuff, the chicken cutlets, grilled vegetables to chickpea salads and all this stuff for like the prepared food section that he had. Um, and I think from there, a big part of it. So. I guess I'll just get into this right now. A main reason why I wanted to transition from that was with working in those types of places, there's a, a a big customer service aspect to it. And that's something that I do not enjoy. Like I don't, it's, it's very, it's exhausting to me to have to put on that act and be like, Hey, how are you doing today? Like, uh, what can I get for you? Like, it's just after, after a while, it's just, it's very draining to, to have to put on that front and serve people face to face. So the I thought the best alternative to that would be the complete opposite of going literally to what they call the back of the house where you're not dealing with anybody the customers complain they have to take it up with the waiter and there's really there's a little bit of a barrier between you and the demanding customers if you right. will so yeah it lets you kind of do your own thing without having to put up with their bullshit yeah 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 that sounds definitely up your alley more. Yeah. Um, but it's good that you got that experience, you know, at Grace's, um, where a lot of times, you know, I hear about people, they get into cooking and they wind up just like chopping onions, you know, like all day, every day. They're just chopping onions or like peeling oranges or some crap like that. So it's nice that, you know, you had so many responsibilities there that you got to do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was at Grace's and then you went to go work at the Big Daddy Morimoto, you know, Justin and I are big Iron Chef fans. So we were pretty excited when we heard that. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was my longest stay at a, like a professional kitchen, whatever. And that was, it was definitely an, an interesting experience. So that was directly after culinary school. And I kind of alluded to that, uh, earlier, the the actual culinary school program was about like eight months, eight or eight or nine months. And then you were required while you were still technically in school, you were required to do what's called like a, a stage or like it's spelled like the English word stage. Uh, and I think in French, it means basically like an apprentice or something along those lines. It's essentially an internship for culinary school where you the, see the, the benefit to, to that with culinary school is that it would get you into some big name places that just would be tough to get your foot in the door kind of. So yeah. doing it on your, your stage ship, sometimes they were paid internships. Sometimes they were unpaid. Um, mine luckily was, was a paid internship and you basically kind of go and just go through the trials. And if by the end of the, the couple months, if they want to actually full-time hire you and you get hired, and that's that's basically how that goes. So that was Morimoto was where I did my staging. Um, and yeah, everything kind of worked out. I, I got along with the people there and they ended up taking me on full time. So I was there for about two years. And um, yeah, the, the experience was was definitely interesting. I met 
Chef Morimoto himself, I want to say two or three times. Um, he's an interesting character. He's very intimidating. Um, you know, he, he would randomly show up sometimes during the middle of dinner service and walk through the kitchen and, oh, you know, <laughs> he'd see uh, like, yeah, I, I, I literally witnessed him. It was one of the most interesting dynamics in the kitchen is when you're dealing with somebody like, for example, your, your head chef or the executive chef who is the almighty, like, you know, sort of intimidating person who's, who's running the show day in and day out. And then you have somebody like Morimoto, who is, you know, the, I don't know if namesake, I don't know if that's the right term or the, um, basically the big boss and mm -hmm. to see him walk through the kitchen and just, you know, rip apart this guy, the head chef who's been ripping me apart for the last like year and a half. And, you know, it's just, that's an interesting dynamic to see like somebody else just come in and, and basically, you know, uh, put oh, down the, this guy who has been like, you know, kind of instilling fear into everybody else for so long. Um, yeah. and that's something I've witnessed a couple, couple times with, with different people. But so that was, that was interesting yeah. to see. I couldn't even imagine that, man. You know, I see like, uh, what's the Gordon Ramsay show kitchen nightmare or something like that, you know, where he's walking through, he's just berating people and, yeah, just Morimoto. He just has that intimidating presence by him, you know. Yeah. Like, obviously, I've never met him, but he just—he's he, pretty big dude, no? Yeah, no, guy. he is. He's um, yeah. yeah, he's not—he's not short. He's—he's he's taller than he looks, I think, on camera and yeah. stuff like big that. Big Japanese dude, ponytail. Yeah. Feel like, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he literally came through one time, and there was a dish which it was actually on my station that I was making. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't particularly care for it. I thought it was kind of weird, but it was a, I'm going to blank on the name of what the dish was actually called, but essentially it was just oysters that we would throw into the steamer for about like 20 seconds or whatever, just quick, like flash steam them. Um, and we would put, um, we would put, oh, they were called oyster foie gras. So we would actually, we would sear a tiny piece of foie gras and then put that on top of the steamed oyster. Wait, it gets worse. And put a spoonful of uh, our like homemade teriyaki sauce that I had to make. So it was teriyaki on an oyster with foie gras and a couple other garnishes. I thought it was yeah. disgusting. Um, it's like the weirdest texture. Those things That's just a lot of flavor. Yeah, a lot of those things clash, in my opinion. But so he came through the kitchen one one night, and we was demanding to know who put that on the menu. And <laughs> it was the it was the executive chef, like I referred to before, who was this kind of intimidating guy himself. Um, you know, we had a good relationship and I, I still maintain a relationship with him, but um, it was just interesting to see him barge through the kitchen and like demand to know why this was on the menu in his restaurant. This is disgusting. And that guy had to admit like, yeah, chef, like that was my creation. Like I, I put that on the menu or whatever. Um, so it was, uh, he's shitting on it. <laughs> kind of funny. He's probably see, just yeah. like, oh, it tastes so good. He's like, these guys are going to love it. Yeah. Morning, when it comes in, he's like, who made this? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that, that restaurant was a little bit more corporate. So there was like a, a little bit more of like, um, a menu that they had to adhere to, but there were also a lot of like, you know, uh, seasonal specials and, and things like that. And I think that was one that he had been running for a long time, but, um, yeah, chef Morimoto was not a fan of it either. So do so, they not do like tests like beforehand? The guy just rolls well, this out. 
They will in like in house. Um, and then there's like the larger sort, like I said, like corporate menu that I think are items that have to be on every, because at that time there were multiple Morimoto locations. They have a Philadelphia location and then the one in Soho, uh, Manhattan. Um, which that, I guess I'll talk about that now. That location that I worked at has since closed down. Um, not necessarily because of COVID. It actually all happened just crazy enough. It all happened right around the same time where, um, the, you know, COVID lockdown started happening. Obviously, we know a lot of restaurants, the restaurant industry as a whole changed completely. A lot of places closed down. They didn't make it. But prior to that, like, no joke, a couple months before that we got news that we were actually going to be closing down regardless, uh, I think Google bought that building that we were working in. It was like a giant, like, sort of warehouse uh, sort of complex that was on the end of the Chelsea market. Um, so we were on like the back end, the South end of the Chelsea market and that entire like building strip that we were working out of was bought, I think by Google that we're going to turn it into like a giant office building. Um, so that was inevitable that they were, they were actually closing down there. Um, and then obviously the whole COVID thing happened and yeah. So Joe, like, uh, so Morimoto Iron Chef, right. Which is interesting. So like, that's our perception of this guy, you obviously have a very different perception. Just curious, um, like, are there any movies or shows that probably the public has seen that get it right? Or is it all just Hollywood, like what we've seen? So in terms of like shows and I wouldn't say movies, excuse me, I can cut that out. Um, in terms of show, <laughs> in terms of shows, um, I've always said since, Basically, since I started culinary school and actually working in the field, I've had the most respect out of all the celebrity chefs is Gordon Ramsay for me. He's the the most like accurate depiction, and just from watching him uh, and and also knowing his his backstory, he still to this day runs some of his own restaurants, and he's very hands on. Um, and he's a he's a celebrity chef who actually grinded it out and and worked in the industry working on the, on the line in the actual, you know, back of the house of a restaurant for, for decades before becoming an actual celebrity. Right. So, so he's somebody that I have a lot more respect for in, in that regard, just because he's actually lived it. Um, and, and something I guess I, I mentioned earlier about like, and you have people who I'm sure they're great cooks, but like Rachel Ray and like Ina Gardner, who I know Dom is a big fan of, um, they're all fine and they have great, they they have what great dishes. are talking about Contessa right now. No. <laughs> no, so, but to my point earlier is when you're at home or you're, you're on a set like Rachel Ray, where everything is prepped for you and you're literally just making that, that apple pie one time for a TV show is way different than having to, you know, make a, um, whatever, a blackened salmon a hundred times in one night consistently. Uh, plating it and doing all this stuff, kind of like I said before, with the that same standard of of uh, excellency, yeah. basically. Um, so yeah, but to answer your question, um, a show that I actually got super into during culinary school was Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay, and that show for me, I think it resonated so much with me during that time because I was watching it and it felt like. 
that's what I was going through. And it, it kind of, in a way, almost made me, gave me the strength to, to go through with the stress of, you know, these, um, these hands-on like tests and things like that, that we were doing in culinary school, getting yelled at by a bunch of French guys who have super high standards and, and stuff like that. Um, that, that's, that was a sign to me that like, okay, this is the real deal. Like this show. Right. Um, I don't know if either of you have watched hell's kitchen. That's, that's more of his like reality show where they, yeah. So yeah, I've seen the cool <clears throat> clips and I, I saw this one guy, I don't know. He, I guess he created, one of Gordon's signature dishes in like a very short amount of time, whatever it was, it's like 30 minutes and it came out like, you know, it, it's cool. You know, he's so famous in, at least in my eyes as being this angry guy. Right. Yeah. And then when he like approves of something, I can imagine like talk about a, your, your moment right in the sun, like yeah. you get Gordon R- Ramsay's approval. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Cool, man. So how, how like a, I don't know if you mentioned, how big was your class, like your culinary class? Um, I want to say it was uh, maybe only 50 or so okay. people in, in one class. There was multiple classes going on at a time. There was also a full, like, um, we had a, a pastry program there. So people who are just going for baking or to be a pastry chef, uh, as well as like a sommelier program and a bunch of other things all going on in that building at the same wow. time. Yeah. So like, I guess in, you know, at Morimoto, it's, it feels like majority of folks were professionally trained, but maybe in other restaurants, that's not always the case. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I, I think actually my executive chef, um, he never went to culinary school uh, wow. at, at Morimoto. So um, yeah, I think there's actually a lot, probably a lot more people who just kind of start working in kitchens and, and just work their way up. Um, there's a lot of people who, I, you know, they don't take it to the next level where they want to go to maybe a fine dining or like a Michelin star type of establishment. But there's plenty of people, you know, just working in a, a local Italian food place in Long Island, say, for example, that could probably right. outcook some of these people working in the Michelin star kitchen. They're just guys that are like, like I, I worked with one guy when um, I picked up like a Sunday prep uh, shift or something. Sunday morning, I just went in to help prep some stuff or whatever. And there was this one guy who's maybe like a 40 or 50 year old um, uh, Mexican gentleman. And he was literally like, I've never seen somebody peel a potato this fast in my life. It was just incredible. <laughs> like the way he would break down uh, giant snow crab legs, like just insane yeah. speeds. and that guy again never went to culinary school, but right. he was he was faster than any of the you know uh, former culinary students that I was working with on the on the line, or even some of the you know the the chefs, the sous chefs, whatever. So yeah, it's definitely not all about the the schooling. Um, I don't necessarily regret going to culinary school, but I, it's absolutely not a necessary requirement. Be a cool so, party I trip. Just, I just think about like the reps you know like how many yeah. fucking potatoes has that guy peeled in his life <laughs> yeah that, that plays that plays a big role <laughs> it's like that thousands you know yeah sometimes that that actually carries more weight you know yeah yeah uh joe uh you've cooked you know in the pre-show we were uh catching up and talking about your your famous ribs that you've cooked for us uh, you have a, do you have I hate the word favorite, but do you have like a favorite dish you like to cook? Do you have a favorite dish you like to eat? Um, I 
I do like to, so my favorite things to cook are kind of in the uh, similar vein to like the, the ribs or any sort of like a slow cook or like a boiled like type of stew. One of my favorite dishes that I actually learned in culinary school is like a braised lamb shank. Um, mm. I still haven't been able to make that for you guys because the time we went to, we, I think we went to three different supermarkets. We couldn't find oh, lamb shank. Lamb. Yeah, that's, um, seems like we, we, we used uh, beef shank. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was close <laughs> enough. Um, but I, do, I, those are, I think some of my, my strongest things. I, I do also like making homemade gnocchi. Uh, it's another recipe I learned in culinary school, how to make that, that, that feels more like a labor of love, like making that dough, letting it sit in the, in, in the fridge, even just like baking the potatoes to make that, that dough. It, it's a very long process. Um, and that's, that's up there on my, you know, top five favorite things to make probably. Um, what was the other part of the, what do you like to eat? Like oh. dish cuisine? Um, I like to eat everything, man. I, that's like a, that's a big part of probably okay. why I, I got into this is I just always enjoyed, um, I just enjoy good food and I wanted to be mm. able to make it. Um, but I do, I definitely have a soft spot for Japanese cuisine. I think after working at Morimoto and just Asian cuisine in general, I really enjoy Thai food, sushi, all that good stuff. Yeah. It's probably my favorite too. We're, we're big yeah. Asian cuisine. That's probably our takeout. It's, it's funny, like, right, when you grow up, you're, like, ordering takeout pizza or maybe, like, uh, you know, American Chinese food. Yeah, right, like, whatever. And, and now I'm getting sushi and ramen and, like. Yeah, man, I still love me some Chen's Kitchen, though. Yeah, listen. Love the Chen's Kitchen right here. You think they have any <laughs> social media presence? <laughs> they, uh, well, they have new owners now. What? You didn't know that, I though? Know that. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough topic. Oh God! We got to unpack this at a later date. Yeah, we'll, Brett, we'll yeah. talk about that in the after Brett, show. Brett claims that he went in and demanded, to, or he asked, uh, what happened to them, and that it, it, apparently the new owner is the sister of uh, Sally. Per, <laughs> this is per. This is per Brett. Per Brett. So per Brett, the reliable historian himself. Um, but you know, going back to these slow meats. You know, I've been getting into the slow meats as well, the braising, you mm. know, the short ribs, asabuco, just because I feel like on the surface they seem intimidating, but really they're super easy, dude. It's yeah. just, you just like brown it, mirepoix, tomato paste, maybe some red mm. wine, and then you yeah. just let it go for like three Park hours. It. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. just like, uh, it's a, they call it like a set it and forget it type of uh, exactly. thing. Exactly, set it and forget it. You know, I just got a Dutch oven. Not too long ago, and I've been loving it. It's not a Le Creuset or whatever that fancy <laughs> brand is. It's Amazon Basics, but it gets the job done. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's your primary job right now is as a chef. But, you know, you've uh, recently broken into the social media scene, um, creating this content empire called Yugi Centric. Now, yes. we, we briefly spoke about it last week with Dean Siriaco. Um, but I know you do a little bit different, you know, as far as the spin goes. So like, what's your, what's your role in the whole uni centric thing? Um, so mostly the thumbnail creation and video editing for the actual YouTube videos. Um, you know, Dean and I work on that together. We'll film the videos together. Um, I'm largely editing them. Um, 
you know, creating the thumbnails and, and posting them on YouTube. Dean definitely has more of a heavy social media presence, promoting, doing giveaways and, and handling the, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, um, which is very important as well. Um, but yeah, so mostly just uh, basically the the back end of once we film those videos together, cutting them up. Um, and that's something that I've just over the last few months kind of taught myself just through kind of funny enough watching YouTube videos on how to make YouTube make videos. videos. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's a great resource. Like it's, it, it seems like a, I don't know, like a weird sort of irony, but um, yeah, I've just kind of taught myself you, you through anything on YouTube now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's great. So you do the thumbnails, you do the video editing. Um, what exactly is a thumbnail? Thumbnail is just like the. I've been embarrassed to ask it. Um, so it's it's literally just the the square image when you go onto the YouTube homepage, the the oh, image yeah. of the video that you're clicking on. That's just referred to as like. I mean, now I think about it, that's like the first thing that you see that the it's, title of the video. It's extremely important. There's a lot of psychology that goes into that. Uh, the title is important, but yeah, for the most part, you're looking at the that thumbnail before you even look, start to read the title of what the video is about. That that thumbnail has to, in a simple in the simplest way possible, it can't be too cluttered and loud or whatever. It needs to get across exactly what the viewer is going to be getting into in that video and grab them to the point where they're willing enough to even read the title and then of course ultimately click on the video so right i guess we're you know we're just bombarded with so many images throughout our day especially you know we have computers right and we're always on youtube and stuff like that and twitter and uh we're just constantly scanning right and mm -hmm. if we see something that we like we go towards it so yeah a lot of responsibility comes to them now so i'm glad you got a good fit for that i know you know there's been talk about you creating some content for um for the podcast creating thumbnails you know using your special talents for that but yeah um, you know going back to learning things from youtube justin do you have any uh random things you'd like to share with us that you learned from youtube you know don't be embarrassed they can they can be some some ridiculous things um i mean i learned a lot about my finance like education like uh I, yeah i mean it's kind of boring but it's you know sometimes you don't have people around you that you can ask um, some questions, you know, it's good to learn about just some financial literature. It's also just, I don't know, like I had to put, um, I had to go, Oh, here's, I had to go clean my sink. So I had a dual sink in my, my master bath and they were getting clogged. So instead of calling a plumber and paying who knows what YouTube did, you know, bought a $10 tool, um, was paying the ass for three hours, but like got it done. Hasn't leaked since, which is pretty good. So now I consider myself an amateur plumber, which is great. So I can get myself in trouble. <laughs> um, but I don't, I did everything like everyone, anytime someone says, like, I don't know how to do this. Like just Google it. Like the, someone has probably asked the same question. Right. Somewhere. Either YouTube or Reddit or someone. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not that unique. Whatever you're doing is not yeah. that unique that nobody yeah. else has been like, how do I do this? No. And Dom, yeah. I think we talked about this Reddit is like an insane resource like the like a, like super if you want something like very specific i've i've found things that i never thought someone else would have the same right. 
same problem as me or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, sometimes even better than YouTube. YouTube is nice because it'll put it in a video format, like hands-on kind of show you. But yeah, uh, we I'm live in a... not very good at navigating Reddit. I don't know like all yeah, the suburbs and how to do that shit. But I'll yeah. just type in like, if I'm looking for a restaurant, I'll be like, best restaurants in Burlington, Reddit. Reddit. You know, yeah. because if you don't, people can pay to be on the top of the Google reviews, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like these hidden gems are probably not going to have the finance, you know, to get thrown to the top. It's like, you type in best restaurants and like Chili's comes up and you're like, come on, like, is yeah. that really the best restaurant in town? <laughs> um, wait, speaking of best restaurants, you tell Joe about the, the new restaurant we found and then what happened to it? Well, they open back up. Oh, okay, okay, we're good. All right, so Joe, Joe, you know, whenever Justin comes up, we go to some nice restaurants in Burlington and there's been some pretty good ones. So, you know, we, we found a couple that we really like and you know, maybe like the last like 10 that I've been to, I'd be like, eh, like it's okay. You know, it's not like a showstopper. But I uh, I found this one, not through Reddit, through Seven Days Vermont, which mm. is kind of like this, I don't know, it's like a newspaper, like an online newspaper, and it has a bunch of shit. And like you could, it'll have like best restaurants, like best new restaurants. So what I was doing is I was just going through the years, and it was like the top five best new restaurants. So I found one, I think it was from 2022. It was a place called May Day. And it was a fantastic meal. Like the the food was incredible. Was it, was, it was small portions that are meant to be shared. Dude, but it you wasn't know? like I know exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, other got, places, you know, Joe, like that's in right now, right? Real in, like small portions. Yeah, yeah. which no. I get, you know, because they want you to sample all the food that they have. I get it, you know. But it's like, don't make me pay a hundred dollars each to not be full, you know. So yeah. May Day, they had these small portions, but like we got these wings and it was like eat like jumbo wings. They're fucking big. Delicious. Was this the like wings a, were great. Was this like a tasting menu type of thing or just no, was like tapas? Like menu. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be like tapas, but like they weren't really tapas. They're shareables. They're like shareable plates. Yeah, okay. that's like in now. I guess like ideally like three people would share it, but like you mm-hmm. probably couldn't have like more than that on a plate. But Or two mazas. Yeah. yeah, or two masses. Yeah, definitely not three masses. So, <laughs> no. um, but the food is phenomenal. The cocktails are incredible, and I don't really go gaga for cocktails. You know, I like me a cocktail, but I'm not going to be like, "Damn, that shit was good." These were good. Yeah, we Very had four different cocktails. ones too. Yeah, we each had two cocktails, and the service was on point. And I was like, "Damn, like that!" And we had great conversation. And I feel like you know, once you have that magic combo of like good food, good service, good cocktails, and good combo. You're going to be just having great things to say about that restaurant. Then, like, a week later, you know, I follow them on Instagram. A week later, they, like, closed down. I don't know why. It was kind of sketchy why they closed down. They said they had a flood in the kitchen. I feel like somebody really fucked up that it was, like, bad enough that they had to close the restaurant for, like, a month. Um, But then they reopened. And now they're back in business. So I'm excited to go on back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was better than we tried this other place called Poco, which is like another like small plates, you know, that you're supposed to share. And fish it came highly recommended. Yeah, we, we got this pork. Only on the fish sauce, dude. It was so fishy. Like Lindsay was like basically gagging. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just like, damn. And like, it's unfortunate because that's the the persona now that we have of that restaurant. Yeah, like, yeah. it could have had four great dishes. But then this one dish was just 
fucking fish sauce central. <laughs> We're just like never going. Like back. we sprinted there in the pouring rain. Like this yeah, was that was kind of fun. There, so. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Justin learned that Uber and Lyft don't really work in Burlington. Uh, yeah, you have to wait for a while. Actually, I just watched the Super Pumped on Netflix with Jordan Levitt. What the hell's his name? Jason Jordan Levitt. Levitt. There you go. JDL, baby. Phenomenal. Great, great show. Got to gotta take a look. Um, I've never heard so of that. We are, we're totally off topic. I'm going to bring us back a little bit. Uh, <laughs> bring us back in, eh? <laughs> we talked about Yugi-centric. We've talked about uh, being a chef. Uh, but recently, you've started right uh, another kind of side gig or, or extra job here. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so I am the uh, an overnight security supervisor. Um, they're very. We don't have to go into specifics. I've, they're very weird. I'm not going to say the company's name, whatever. They're very strange about like promoting on social media, like especially in like uniform, whatever. It's not that serious of a thing, but. Um, yeah, so it's a it's an overnight security gig, um, and it's not bad, honestly. It's um, the hours are weird. Like I literally have to go in to work. I have to be there three hours from now at midnight. Um, so sure. your sleep sleep schedule is completely messed up. Um, it's just something you never. I, I don't think your body ever gets used to. Even as long as I've been doing it now, you, you don't get used to working a midnight shift. Like yeah. You know, it's like, it's, you know, 12, 12 a.m. till 8 a.m. The way I do it is I'll come home at 8 a.m. And I don't know, I don't know if it's just like the relief of getting out of work that I get this burst of energy. Uh, So I'll stay up. You know, some people, they they come home from a midnight shift, whatever. They go straight to bed, sleep from 8 a.m. till the afternoon and get up when the sun's still up. To me, that's kind of weird. I, I prefer kind of staying up once I get home and try to ride it out till like the afternoon so that mm. I can go to bed and sleep a straight like six to eight hours instead of breaking up your sleep where, you know, you go to bed at 8 a.m., wake up in the afternoon. Then like by the time you have to go to work, you're going to want to lay back down again. And it just, uh, yeah. unfortunately, sleep doesn't work that way where it adds up. If you <laughs> do three hours and then three hours later, it, it doesn't add up to six hours of sleep. Uh, so I try to fight through the tired and sleep that straight, you know, whatever, whatever it is, five, six hours. Yeah. Dude, I, I hear so many people like around our age, like multiple jobs or side gigs. And I think it's just like, you know, life's expensive or we just need to, you know, maybe people want more flex. I, I mean, it's common, man, to have multiple jobs nowadays, right? Yeah. Um, and something you kind of touched on earlier too, with the, like, financial literacy, whatever on YouTube, that is another technically a side hustle that I picked up all the way back during COVID as well was learning about the financial markets. And, um, I wouldn't necessarily constitute it as, as day trading, but the, the main thing that I do is I, I basically watch the, the overall markets, the S and P 500, the NASDAQ, and I will trade or basically swing trade options where I'm buying option contracts and holding on to them for a day to a week or two weeks or something like that. And that's something that I, I kind of just self-taught myself as well. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've taken a bunch of online classes and things like that. So that's something since basically the COVID era, everybody and their mother 
thought they were, you know, high stakes day trader, whatever. But it's easy um, to make money when going up into the right. Most of those most of those people have either completely destroyed their accounts or they just gave up on it. Um, I've stuck around, and it's something that I still continue to do. Um, you know, are I you uh, you selling covered calls? What are you selling? No, I'm, I'm mostly buying either puts or calls. So, <laughs> like, you know, if I if you know if I'm trying to essentially go short the market, I'll buy buy puts or buy calls if I think it's going up. Um, but yeah, so that's something that I still kind of do as that would I would I would consider a very much side sort of a hustle. Yeah. It's in, in a way like a hobby. Um, I enjoy it, and, and it's something that I still do. You know, I keep up with on YouTube, watching right. financial content and, and things like That's that. That's good. So, yeah, maybe we should exchange. So, so Dom, just so an option, it's literally like an opportunity to buy a stock at a given time, and you can do it. Me. Hey, hey, hey! Options. I'm I'm learning about options myself, right? So, um, options can be risky, like mm -hmm. out there if you don't do it right. And you know, my advice to everyone is always: if you're trading options, just it's okay to if you lose the money, be okay to lose that money. Like, don't right. Don't. We're not financial advisors. Yeah, I always got to keep you out there. You throw that in there. Um, yeah. yeah. So, look, yeah. With with those, I'm never I'm never exercising the options. I'm I'm basically using them just as a, a trade, Justin. Right. But, right. Yeah. Um, it's cool, man. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think it's uh, uh, it's good that like our gen. It's good. It's nice to hear you and Dom and I will talk a lot of financial literacy. Um, I think as like, as you start growing an income, you're like, what do I do with this money? And then also how do I gain money? Like in this thing called the stock market, right? It's such a weird concept yeah. to a lot of people because we don't learn in school. Like unless you go for finance, you're not learning yeah. basic financial concepts, which is right. crazy. Um, like I, you know, you don't know how to write a check. You don't know how to pay, like what, how to read a credit statement. Like it's kind of scary. I still uh, don't know how to write a check. You know, I, I have to write one every month. My apartment's so antiquated that they don't have an online portal. Ridiculous. Which is kind of crazy. Let me get ACH. Yeah, I think uh, I look I it up I, every I time. Have, I have one check left from my original <laughs> checkbook that I got. Oh, I've lost that multiple I times. First opened up my bank. Dad yells at me all the time. He's like, you don't know how to write a check? I'm like, you mean the my, one thing? Mine still has mom's like name on Oh, my God. <laughs> but oh, you can get, old. like, cool checks. You can get, like, Monopoly yeah. boards and shit. I'm going to I'm gonna get fancy with mine. Maybe I'll get uh, <laughs> the podcast emblem on it. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves. I love can it. Can we do that? I don't know. Maybe. I'll talk to our producer, Mr. Siriaco. <laughs> Uh yes, you saw my stickers. No checkbook, yes. but <laughs> stickers. Yeah, oh, technically, we, if we well, yeah, technically yes. Yeah, you can put any image you want. We'll save it for the afternoons. But I trade, I trademarked the uh, the logo because I created it. How do you? That's do our that? producer. It's owned by the did Skippers you, View did LLC. YouTube it. How to trademark <laughs> something? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't actually trademark it. I'm just kidding. But I That'd do own it. Nice You're, I do own your name and likeness, but yeah. Appreciate it. Because it's Tom, what else name. you got for us? Wait, does anybody know what that's from? Because it is my name. It sounds familiar. Yeah, what Come is on, it? You guys all read it. Tyler? Dean? Uh, I think it's the Crucible. Uh, I just, you think it's the Crucible? <laughs> <laughs> I actually you don't, don't think they made us read that in Kellenberg. You didn't have to read that in school? I don't. I think so. Or at least I didn't read it. 
Not me. The old days of spark. I'm looking for my checkbook. I don't even know where it is. Uh, all right. Well, you know, this has been good. I want to end on a little bit more serious note. Hold on. Let's take. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, there it is. Because it's my name. <laughs> Tyler, can you can you read out that sentence for us? All of it in the voice that you would imagine that guy saying it is. Because it is my name. Because I cannot have another in my life. Because I lie and sign myself to lies. Because I am not worth the dust and the feet of them that hang. How am I live without my name? I have given on you my soul. Leave me my name. That's not bad. Beautiful. John Proctor. Yeah, that was. A... Yeah, let's get a little. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, all right. So you know, last topic, Joe, and you know, I wanted to bring this up because you know we have a pretty close group. You know, all of us back in uh, the old Willie P, and you know, we kind of have a similar similar story where you know we had to really experience some family hardships you know i think you were around the same age you know that i was when my mom passed you know and justin and myself our mom passed 2013 maybe so i think i was 19 and justin was 21 and then your parents got divorced um yeah it was right around the same time time. it was like freshman year of college 2012 2013 Right. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about this with people where I feel this more sense of connection with other people who have experienced like these really traumatic things in their lives. Like, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, uh, other people's trials and tribulations. But, you know, if you lost a parent or you went through like a pretty messy divorce in your family, like you have like a, a kind of a different understanding, you know, that you can't really read about or you can't replicate. You just have to like go through it. But Nonetheless, I remember you said something to me, you know, way back when, when it was happening that obviously really struck a nerve because I still bring it up today. And it was that when your parents were going through divorce, it made you see them as people instead of like these almighty beings as your parents. Um, Yeah. I I don't know if you remember having that conversation with me. I do. And I'm like, I'm actually surprised that you remember. I didn't know if that like, that resonated that much with you, yeah. but uh, I, yeah, I didn't know that that was something so profound. I just thought, I don't know. I thought maybe at the time when I said that to you, I thought maybe that was just like common sense and I was just saying something, something dumb, but um, yeah, no, I'm glad that that resonated that much. Surprised yeah, you still remember I, that. I mean, I, I think it is a, a really important understanding to come to because you know we grow up and our parents are our first teachers you know and you know luckily like most of us you know and our friends had a a pretty good family you know pretty good upbringing um and you know we we learn so much from our parents right and we we kind of model our lives after them and then there comes a point you know in our whatever young adult life or maybe you know when we're even older that we're like oh like you know, that was like weird that like my dad used to do that or that my mom would like think of like that or like, you know, she's like jealous. And um, I think going through an experience like that kind of speeds up that process that, that yeah. uh, you know, sometimes people just never have that experience. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it is definitely like a in a way like um, I'm glad that I had that experience because. Yeah, like you said, when you're when you're a kid, your your parents are your first teacher, sometimes your only teacher. 
Um, and just in general, as, as a kid, I think you look at anybody older than you as like, well, like I have to listen to what they say or they, they must be right. Cause they're, they're older than me. They're an adult. Like why would, you know, why would they be wrong about something? And yeah, as, as you get older, whatever through, you know, basically whatever means it, it ends up happening for you in your life. I, I think eventually you do start to realize that, you know, most people in the world are they're flawed like not you know there's nobody who's who's a you know perfect there's a bunch of imperfect people and nobody has all the answers basically is kind of the the conclusion that i i kind of came to uh and it's something i've experienced recently i, w- I want to say maybe after the the point of like 25 26 in my professional life was you know i, I don't know you could you could go even deeper and say maybe this is like childhood trauma. I I don't know if everyone has this same experience, but for me, I I felt the same way, even with people who maybe had more experience with me or who were older than me in my field or at any, any particular job where I, I still viewed myself, I think as a kid. So I just kind of took whatever they said in stride and, and just wanted to, you know, appease them or, or like, Oh yes. You know, like, they're my boss. So like, I have to listen and this and that. And I think once I, like I said, once I got past the age of like 25, 26, I started to view myself more as an adult as, you know, going at that point, you know, uh, some people are going to think this sounds silly, but going downhill or getting closer to the age of 30, I'm like, wait a second. Like I'm kind of old now. Like I I need to, I need to demand the the respect of a, a full grown adult from from other people because that's what I am now and I think once I started viewing myself more as an adult I started to expect more you know from other people uh demanding a little bit more respect and and basically the same in the same vein as with my parents viewing myself as their equal as opposed to I'm just a kid who works here and I have to basically listen to what they say so I don't know if you guys have had that experience in your professional life as well, but oh, yeah. that—that's a, a recent update with that. That's kind of struck me. Yeah, I mean, I think both you know Justin and I are pretty young for our fields, and you know we have a a phrase in my line. I don't know if you guys have heard of like imposter syndrome before. You yeah, guys use that yeah. term. Yeah, and you know I feel that all the time, and I have a friend who just accepted this position at a new clinic. You know, right near me. And he, he's a year older and he's like, I had the biggest imposter syndrome for this first couple of days, just because, you know, you're young, especially if you look young too, you know, like, you know, my line, like, right. You're a doctor. If you look like you're 22, you know, like no facial hair, like people are going to be like, what the fuck? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or like, how old can he be? You know, how many years experience can he have? So I think it's just, uh, breaking through that, you know, it's just some barrier that we put up for ourselves really. And it's like, we're just casting these, you know, we're thinking that these people are doubting us of our capabilities because of our age or experience or whatever, but they're probably not at all. You know, like they they don't even think about it like that, but we're just creating this illusion for it. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like, I think people then pick up on that and it's kind of like what you're putting out there by your sort of, uh, unsure, unsureness or, you know, like, not being confident in yourself, people pick up on that and they'll kind of pounce all over you for it. Basically that big dick energy. Yeah. Well, it goes with like 
the, I guess the, we'll say the patient and the client focus, right? On that side, the, uh, the customer focus, whatever you want to be. But also when you guys you start having to lead teams, I've made that tr transition over the last few years where I'm leading now the 22 to right 28 year olds or whatever it is. And I'm like, holy shit. Like I wasn't, I'm not too far removed from this, right? Like when did that transition just happen? Um, yeah. You know, and, and it, yeah, listen, you, you learn, you, you grow, you figure out what your style is as well. Um, like I'm helping companies, you know, guys who are double my age, like advising them, like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, but then as you know, to Joe, kind of your point, as you approach 30 and then we're all going to eventually approach older, um, those like people start catching up and then you're starting to talk to peers, right. And, and colleagues more. And you're like, Oh, this is like way more, um, I don't know, simpatico, right. It's like way more, a little bit on your page. So just yeah. a growth path. It is interesting being in that transitional period, you know, and I'm in a similar role too, where we have this new resident, right? So like I have yeah. you know, two plus years now on him, even though he's 10 years older than me. So it's like, I'm That's obviously cool. still in this learning phase, but I'm like yeah. in this teaching phase as well. So it's, it's fun to blend the two together. Um, Joe, you said a couple great things beforehand. One of them I wanted to talk on was because it was about teachers and like growing up, like you assume that like your elementary school teachers or your high school teachers, like had it all figured out and like knew what they were talking about. And then as we get older, like our friends and our peers become teachers and you're like, what hey, the hey, fuck? hey, like that. <laughs> no, you're, an, you're an administrator, Dean. You're different. But, you know, they're just, again, you know, we're all winging it, really. And yeah, we're all just kind of learning on the go. No one teaches us any life skills that were needed. It just comes from, that's why they call them life skills, right? Because you acquire them from living. So. Just from living, yeah. Yeah. I can't get a little. <laughs> You know, Justin, I, I signed up for Apple TV because I just bought this new MacBook that I'm recording this on. Nice. Like Lasso. It's amazing. But yeah, I got back into Ted Lasso. And who's the nerdy guy with the glasses who's like on the team? Or he's like, like he's like the assistant for the main lady. Oh, he has like all uh, Higgins. Kids. Yeah, Higgins. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was talking with Jamie Tart, and he's just like, because Jamie Tart like has a shithole of a dad. So he's like, oh, like parents are interesting. He's like, you know, I'm appreciative for the things they are, and I forgive them for the things they're not. Mm. And I'm like, damn, that's a good little one liner. There's a lot of good one liners. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that show is so quotable. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I'll tell you, like, I, I know, and maybe Joe, I'm curious. You ever hear about the love languages? Does, does that sound familiar? If I say the love language, yeah, like the like Spanish and French, like those. Things? So, no, no, so no, words, words that's Romance languages. Never mind. Say again, Dom. Like words of affirmation. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so, like, it's the way people show love and the way you want to receive love. I think there's six oh, okay, times. Yeah. Like, is this like science, or did somebody just like make? I don't this know, man. It's something I see on like Instagram. People say yeah, my yeah, love, my love like language is food. Horror, listen, so. listen, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I learned about it years ago. It's like words of affirmation, acts of kindness, gift giving, uh, physical touch. There's basically uh, everyone likes quality different time. Ways. Quality time, yeah. Everyone likes. I think everybody. I think everybody likes physical touch. 
Hey, yo, depends, you know? It's, it's hey, just, yo. Uh, but I, I like, I learned we're a kid about show, this. We're a kid show. Uh, I learned about this a while ago. And um, it helped me, you know, honestly, it helped me cope, Dom, with going down to one parent and realizing, like, our parents show love differently. And then you expect them to pick up the signs that you're missing, right? So if one person is quality time, uh, and then all of a sudden you lose that parent, how does the other one fill in? And it's it, really interesting for me, like it helped me understand not only the parent dynamic, but like my friend dynamic and um, even like work dynamic, right? Like, yeah, words about like, I don't give a crap about words of affirmation. Like oh, you don't you need to tell me you're proud of me or anything. It doesn't mean anything for me, but acts of service or, you know, go wa wash the dishes if they're dirty or something like that. So it's something that uh, resonated with me and it helped me like understand the, the parent dynamic a bit. So I don't know, Dom, if it's science, but it's, it's helpful. It's like, on verywellmind.com, so it might be. It sounds, you know, it sounds okay. It's not WebMD, but. You know, it's, you know, WebMD is not too bad, to be honest. I think it gives you a good little snippet of what you're looking for. Yeah. Tyler or Dean, what's your love language? What do you mean? How do you like to be loved? You oh. just had the list pulled up. Oh, I thought you meant. Uh, I don't know what I meant. Um, Dark magician girl. French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess physical touch. Although I'm told I'm not a hugger. Um, I don't like uh, if I receiving gifts if it's like like a, a nice like Yu Gi Oh pack. <laughs> I feel like you like receiving gifts and you like giving gifts. Yeah, I like I like to. You're you're like you're kind of like uh, what's the guy in the Christmas Carol? Stooge. Scrooge. Scrooge. Yeah, you're kind of like Scrooge. <laughs> well, you kind of fucked. Yeah, you you used to be at least like you kind of like hated gift giving for a while. You're back. You're like back the on the gift giving pressure that people. Yeah, and you're right. Dom, Dom has turned a corner on gift giving. Yeah, because I realized that people like gifts. You know, <laughs> well, what, I, I improved. <laughs> what? Is that bad? <laughs> Yo, what do you think? How about you? Um, I do enjoy... I, I do like the feeling of... And again, I mean, you could go deep with this and say like it's in a way it is more selfish the the feeling of giving gifts i do enjoy that but it's more like you obviously get it as as the giver you do get yeah. a good feeling out of out of that um so i i do enjoy giving someone a good gift that like you know if i buy a christmas gift that i know someone's gonna love i'm like you know antsy to give it to them like the the day that it's i buy real, it you like can't wait home to run yeah, real humor. Uh, every every piece of shit's a classic in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy the the gift giving aspect. I don't know if that was one of the ones specifically on the list. Yeah. Um, that you is, guys just yeah. that. Yeah, and, yeah. I well, it, it's so like I, I hear what you're saying about the self, but so it's interesting because you can want to receive love one way, but also you can express love a different way. Like maybe your thing, I don't know, is yes, words, yeah, of, I don't, words of affirmation. I don't know. I, I know I, that makes a lot of sense because I was going to say I don't necessarily enjoy receiving gifts as much. Like in, in a way, it almost feels like awkward to me. I'm just like, I don't know what to 
you know, I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, <laughs> no, I just, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, like re- receiving gifts, like, uh, of course I appreciate it and it's a, a nice gesture, but I, I definitely prefer giving them, um, if that makes sense. Uh, I don't know, I guess maybe, yeah, the way I like receiving it would be physical touch as well. Um, you and Tyler, huh? Yeah. Long fingers. <laughs> Tyler, remember when I bought you and Joe some Yu-Gi-Oh boxes? Yeah, yes, I, I like that. I loved. I love that. that I like. Cool, I, right? I. I like giving gifts more than receiving gifts. Yes, I do like that. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're screwed. It's just for a while you're like, ah, I just <laughs> don't like the idea of like I having heard to you give. Call me screwed. To, having no, to give dude, gifts on Christmas. Stooge. <laughs> stooge. stooge and the stodge. <laughs> You know, I just got back into the bear, Justin, and they said stage, so I knew what that term meant. Mm-hmm. Oh. Season three, and that's one, officially announced. That's, I was going to bring that up earlier when you asked that question, Justin. Yeah. That's that's one I still have not watched, but everybody kind of... Yeah, I mean, you either love it or you hate it. Like, there's some really polarizing opinions on it. Um, I think... Yeah, I mean, no, go ahead. Like the character development's good. It's you kind of actually like start to hate the main characters a bit, and you're like, I want to learn about other, which is kind of fun that they do that in the show. I like the pastry chef guy. Yeah, everyone loves him. Yeah, the first episode of season two is great. What about yeah, so not to... you guys like Triple D? Yeah, Ooh. that's a, that's a totally different speed of, <laughs> of the show. Dive, driving and dives. Is that yeah, <laughs> that is gangster. Right now, um, I would um, love a book of like Guy Fieri. What are those called? Idioms? Idiosms? That's what that term? Yeah, euphemisms. Like euphemisms. Yeah, euphemism. I don't know if that's. Terrible. No, I think euphemism is uh, like sexual. No, euphemism. <laughs> yeah, like like connotation. What's no, the word? Pull it up, Jamie. Pull it up. Um. Yeah. So. Not to dive back into a whole can of worms, that that is something I wanted to to talk about earlier uh, when that question of the the TV and movies, whatever, came up. One thing I don't love is like the the glorification that like and it's mm-hmm. there's there's been for a while TV shows and and movies and stuff about the culinary industry, but I don't like the glorification of like the hardships. Which I, again, I haven't watched The Bear. But all the all the scenes I see is just him stressed out, smoking a cigarette in the back alley, and, and like screaming at people, and whatever. And I think it makes it like makes it like sexy for people, and that's why so many people are so interested. They're like when they hear that, they're like, "Oh wow, you you're a chef! I always wanted to do that," or whatever. And it's like, no, you don't. Trust me. Like you do not. It's not. It's not fun. You make. It's not. It's not good money for the most part, and you're you know, you're you're busting your ass basically. And like ultimately, it never gets easier. Even yeah. once you make it to the higher, you know, head chef, executive chef type of level, um, and that's something that I think, you know, that that happens with everything. Maybe I take it more personally just because I've I've been in it. But um, yeah, they, they definitely glorify those sort of things on on TV, and in a way where it's like it's edgy and it's cool to to be a chef. Like and I, I have friends. Yeah. And I have friends who are still kind of like in that mentality of like they they enjoy in almost like kind of like a sick way. They like enjoy the fact that like, oh, I got my ass kicked today. Like, can't wait to go back in there again. Um, and to that point, actually, with my my class in culinary school, 
a lot of the people there were ex-military uh, veterans. And I think that's there's there's something to be said about that because they in in some way, I think, enjoy that, like that, that hard, like disciplinary and, and just sort of um, that regimented, like strict uh, environment. Um, but I think in some ways to the point I'm trying to get at, I think the industry in some ways needs to change from that toxic sort of way that it, that it operates. Uh, I just, there, there are some things, whether it be like Hollywood or, or even like people who are in it that are still glorifying it in a way, or think that it's like, it's cool. Or like, this is what it's supposed to be like. In my opinion, I don't think it has to be that way. Uh, so just, uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to, we don't have to go back into the whole chef talk thing, but that's something I wanted to, to talk about earlier. Just like, yeah. It's basically my complaints about I don't want to make the whole thing my complaints about the industry, but that's what it is. Wow, that's a good perspective. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, a good podcast name, Chef Talk. We have enough podcasts. There's actually an Instagram page uh, called Chef Talk that I, I follow. So. Uh, Christina's going to be wondering, by the way, why this episode's so long. So I just want it to be known that it's for the watch time. I think we're just having combo, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, the boys. Yeah. It's your cousin. Drinking the cronies. Critiquing it. I can't wait for the live episode that we're going to put out. I wonder how that setup's going to look. What do you mean? Well, the live stream? We're doing a live, live recording. Fuck it, we're doing a live. As a way. I mean, I have, I have the mixer. I just need to get a couple microphones for it. We could discuss it in the after show notes. But, um, yeah, why don't we wrap it up? You know, I think... Uh, we we exhausted Joe as much as we could. You know, he took us through a lot of journeys, and you know, this was just a, a great conversation. So, Joe, thank you so much for being on here. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Um, do you have any? <laughs> you have any quick advice for someone who wants to elevate their at-home cooking game? You know, maybe some like tools that they should get, or some like cookware. You know, just keep it basic. Though. Yeah, um, yeah. In like a general sense, I mean, you're best friend as a at home cook or professional chef is going to be your knife. Uh, and that's something that until, you know, until I went to culinary school and learned how to sharpen knives and bought myself a, you know, fancy Damascus steel Japanese knife and all this stuff. I'm not saying you necessarily, necessarily have to do that, but definitely people at home. I grew up in a house where my parents bought a set of knives in the 1990s and literally never sharpened them until this day. Like we still have some of the same and it's just, I never realized like until I got a good knife and sharpened it all that, like, it's like, Oh my, it's so easy to cut like a carrot or something. Like it was just like struggling for most of my life with these dull knives at my house. So um, yeah, get yourself a sharp knife, learn how to sharpen them. Again, YouTube is a great resource. Uh, You can do it with a, you know, a Japanese whetstone or, you know, Every uh, every once in a while, you don't have to do it all the time, but take it somewhere, maybe get it sharpened. It'll just make your life so much easier for all the different sort of things you're trying to do. Um, and yeah, that's that 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 would be a big help. Um, I guess like to get a little bit maybe more specific, I would say something I see a lot of people do whenever you're cooking, just make sure you're using the the proper oil for whatever sort of thing you're trying to do, because a lot of people, I don't know if people realize like oils, different types of oils or fats like butter, 
have different smoke points where like all extra virgin olive oil and butter are going to burn much quicker than your canola or your vegetable oil, something like that. So if you're trying to fry a chicken cutlet or something like that, you're not going to use, obviously, I don't know if I have to say this, but you're not going to use butter, uh, but don't use extra virgin olive oil either because it's going to burn much quicker and that will, you know, alter the taste uh, in an unpleasant sort of, sort of a way. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe just let your meats kind of come to room temperature before you yeah. cook them. That's another thing that like, again, to get on, on a personal note, I've seen family members literally take frozen meats out of the freezer and throw them in a pan. And it's just like, you, like, but even if the, even if the meat's defrosted and whatever, and it's been in the refrigerator, I think that's a small thing that a lot of people don't realize is your refrigerator is running basically somewhere between, I think it's like 30, 40 degrees or maybe, maybe in the forties. But, um, that's a big difference from room temperature where if you're trying to cook something like a steak, uh, it'll actually affect the, the precision of whatever temperature you're trying to cook it to. When I say temperature, I'm referring to the scale of medium, medium, rare, all that stuff. Um, if you, what restaurants will do is, you know, you'll have a bunch of steaks sitting out. Uh, that might sound unappealing to some people, but that's kind of just what you have to do when you're firing off so many things at a time. Uh, but even at home, if you're going to cook a steak, you know, leave it out on the counter for 30, 40 minutes, let it come to room temperature, and you'll be able to nail it basically a, a lot easier to the precise medium, medium rare, whatever you're trying to get it at. Uh, Great. That's just like a little. All really good tips. You know, I don't know how to sharpen my knife, but I found some lady that can sharpen my knife. It charges like 10 or 15 bucks for a knife. So I just go like twice a year. I bring my chef's knife. She sharpens it and shit cuts like butter. So yeah, that's well, I think that's well worth it. Like, you know, me too. All right, great. Well, I think that'll do it for us. Justin, you have any closing remarks? No, it was awesome, Joe. Thanks for coming on, man. I think uh cool background, cool knowing just about the industry as a whole. So this was fun. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Cool. You're welcome back anytime, Joe. Thank you. All right.